Hey, hey, Boss Rebellers. Patty Dominguez here with Tim Wambach, and you are listening to episode 106 of the Boss Re Society podcast. And today's special guest is Chris Thompson, who is the founder and CEO of TrueBrain. Their mission is to help optimize the entrepreneurs or the high performance business person's productivity and efficiency so that they don't have to rely on the excess caffeine or the prescription medication that gives you maybe the jitters or just a short spurt of energy. Really interesting guy, corporate background, very accomplished individual who forged into the arena of startups. And today we're talking about the psychology of startups. So great information here for the early entrepreneur or somebody that is looking into a startup, starting something up. What is a successful startup startup, and what deems a not so successful startup. So take a listen. Make sure you let us know what you think on Twitter at Boss Free Society. Of course, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already done so, because that is what makes you a Boss Free Baller. And and we are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Boss Free Society Dojo D-O-J-O. And here we go. Do you believe there is more to your career than waiting for the gold watch in 40 years? Did you know that the average American spends 200 hours a year commuting to a job they probably hate? Does it frost your ass to get a 2% raise that barely keeps up with the rate of inflation? Have you ever worked for a boss hole? We know how you feel, and we want to help. Welcome to the Boss Free Society Podcast, your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts, Tim Wambach and Patty Dominguez couch not included patty we're back in the studio with another great guest to bring to our boss free ballers that's right a former corporate drone i can we probably have some more <laughs> stories to share here so take it away tim let us know who we have on the line Today we have Chris Thompson. Chris founded True Brain to help people get out of the office by being more productive and efficient. He is passionate about quantified self and collaborates with a great team of neuroscientists to measure and optimize productivity. Prior to True Brain, Chris set up a social commerce platform as the entrepreneur in residence for Centoria. After a brand management role at Unilever for Hellman's Best Foods and Suave. Before Unilever, Chris managed consulting engagements for Fortune 500 consumer products clients, including Wrigley's, Nokia, and Pfizer. Chris has an MBA from Duke and a BA in economics from Georgetown, where he played tennis in the Big East Conference. The Boss Free Society podcast welcomes Chris Thompson. Chris, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This it, is great, guys. Appreciate impressive, it. Impressive, impressive. And uh, just, you know, yeah, like uh, former background in corporate, Duke, your MBA, total slacker, yeah. Uh, so how long have you yeah. been boss-free? Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I was freelancing a little bit and freewheeling at the very end of uh, my days at Unilever where I think, um, you know, so maybe that, maybe I can count some of that as boss-free and, Absolutely. you know, getting some of that autonomy. But uh, But technically, I guess... At the very start, January of 2012, um, I left to be an EIR where really, you know, I was brought on to help run run the business and make it a, a, a business. So I think that at that point, we could probably start the clock officially. That's cool. So then had you always thought, because you and I have similar backgrounds, right? Undergrad, MBA, corporate, branding side of things. How did you figure out that, wow, this isn't the path that I want to stay on? And did that entrepreneurial bug always exist or was it over time? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, although, you know, so on paper it doesn't really show, although when I was coming out of undergrad, I was really into startups, and even in school, um, I was always entrepreneurial, you know, and, and you always get these stories even back to sort of childhood, like, you know, doing all those things and all the typical stuff and figuring out a way to make money, like, you know, some of it legit, some not, you know, I would, I would take, uh, you know, we would in little league when we were selling candy bars, I would take them, they were $2, I would scratch it out and write 250 and, you know, take the, take a little extra margin, you know, (laughs) things like that. So I was always entrepreneurial, but, um, but I think that when, when I had a startup job right out of undergrad, it actually, by the time I graduated, um, and took a little time off in the summer, it disappeared. Um, and so then I had to go, well, I didn't have to, but I just found myself going down the, the corporate route then, um, and didn't really pick my head up until after business school, you know, I went into school and it's even tougher with, I'm sure a lot of your guests know it's like called the follow the herd mentality. It's obviously right. very simple. It's like, cause you have the signing bonus and all the companies, the big companies, you know, it's all this big setup where the big companies are kind of like funding these events and recruiting and offering signing bonuses and all these things. And like, how can you not, you know, be compelled to take those things? So um, enticing, so, isn't it? Yeah. And, and like, you know, a great entrepreneur perhaps would have, um, you know, and a lot of my classmates, they, they didn't go that route and didn't follow the herd. And that's even better. But, you know, I, I, ha- I did it and I knew even going back to Unilever that it wasn't like the end all be all, but it was still a great training program and, you know, getting great fundamentals and sort of like just de-risking the path that, um, that you can take later. I think there's trade-offs on both sides. If you listen to, which I'm sure your guests are reading a lot of the classic stuff and, you know, following a lot of the classic thought leaders. And they say, if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't go and train for something else and then come back to it. A lot of them say, just do it right off the bat. You know, right. and, and therefore right. you get a lot of people not even going a, a regular, you know, undergrad route, right. And things like that. So I, you know, it's, it's all, you know, you know, to each his own in terms of the path, but that's the way that it ended up for me. So how would you describe what you do and, and how you're adding value to the marketplace? Sure. So, I mean, I think what our mission is overall, we think that neuroscience and uh, more specifically neurotech can help improve how we live. So in that, what does that mean? Like, that's a very broad statement, right? Of course. So what we think is what's fascinating about what we're doing is we can measure, which as a human race, we've admitted we don't know enough about the brain, Mm. right? And when I was at Unilever, I was always thinking about ways like, how can I be more productive? And why can I measure, for example, everything I'm doing when I'm working out, heart rate, cadence, mileage, elevation, if I'm on the bike, you know, cycling in the New York metro area or long 9W, why can I, you know, quantify everything about that and see day to day what's happening and what's different and we have great days at work and you get in the zone and you and then other days you just can't seem to find the right balance of like focusing your time on the right things and that's where you know this um that's sort of the backdrop a little bit um to this idea but you know where we add value now is we we quantify exactly what's happening to come up with this algorithm by neurotech that'll say when you're most productive it's a function of your sleep you know, meditation, your diet, workouts, et cetera. Mm. So we can actually quantify last night you didn't have a great sleep and you're not feeling great at work. What does that look like in the brain? I want to quantify exactly what that looks like. And our first product here that we've come up with is functional beverages, which do a lot better job, uh, better job than caffeine alone at helping you get into a, you know, focused, productive mindset. Um, so we've, we've developed beverages based on the neurotech that we see that proves it out. Um, and it's a, it's instead of just alertness, it's for that focus. 
That's awesome. So then just going back to to how how you started this all, talk to us about the how you created your wealth circle team that you kind of brought together to make this all happen. And are you the one that started it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I was in, I was an EIR for Centoria, the 2012 EIR in New York. Um, and then I was starting, what you do in that role is typically, um, you know, you find, it's a very trendy title, et cetera, but like you find um, a fundable business model for something with, that has a little bit of money and some assets behind it. So what I was doing during that time, a lot of times is you're also looking for what you want to do. Um, you know, assuming that you don't want to take over um, something that you developed or found or acquired, a lot of times people in that role go start something. So what I did is looked through a lot of different business models, tried to figure out like what, of course, like what problems do I face? That's always a good way to start. Like, what do I see or what problems do I know well that I face that I think I could solve that I'm like uniquely well positioned to do so, et cetera. And I applied to accelerators. So I applied to accelerators in New York, San Francisco, and L.A., and the first one we got into was in LA, and then and then I came out here and I started building this around with the UCLA neuroscience community, um, the PhDs there. So and that's when I met Andrew, and he was the perfect person to help me start this because I wanted to bring this and make you know come up with some solution based on the science that we were studying, and he was you know doing this uh, brainwave measurement. So he's the one actually quantifying you know for clients and some of them very famous that you would know. Of course, we can't share like through LA, they go into his office and they, mo- they monitor brainwaves, you know, come in once a week. It's like a, a dentist or a doctor's office. It's a, it's a client practice. Um, and then he had known about some of the things um, and some of the ingredient sets that I had been studying and, and playing around with. He had been like recommending these recipes for friends, family, et cetera, for years. Um, so that's how, you know, those two sides came together. He has the quant background and, you know, then we could build the neuroscience team around him. And on, on the other side, it was like, I could help make it a consumer products business, um, you know, to, uh, to bring those two sides together to make it scalable. So is he somebody that you knew or you met, you reached out to him? How did you connect with him enough to create the influence where he engaged with you? Because it's a, it's a very compelling science enough that I'm assuming he had been approached prior to that. So what is I mean, it- I definitely think like luck played a part. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and by the way, feel free to interrupt and take this wherever you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I can- <laughs> we're good. We're good. Particular part of it. You know, I'm just looking at Tim and I'm wondering, is he getting nervous? I'm going on too long. Like, no. not at all. Not at all. Okay. I'm used to it. Um, yeah. I mean, look, luck was a part of it. Um, you know, so academics, what I found and going through, you know, and meeting all these PhDs. So I would go to events and we actually had at the time an Anderson MBA who was, um, kind of helping me out as just an intern as we were starting this up. Because when you're an accelerator, you can collect a lot of like, you know, startup people that are really into it and a lot of talent that just want to get in the game and see what that's like. And uh, we just were emailing and contacting the professors. I went with met with a lot of them. So of course, what you can imagine from the PhD program is, you know, a lot of them don't have the time or interest for things that are sort of in the private sector. Um, and, what Andrew will say is they know a lot about very little. So they're super narrow. Um, they're as narrow as you can ever get, and they go really, really deep. So unless they know exactly what you're going for, um, then they're sort of – then they, they usually opt out, which I think is um, what I found. I think it's going to be difficult for them to try to apply their skills if they try to go private sector by keeping that same attitude. It's like it's literally – you'll hear from them, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that exact thing. It's like literally in the world of things that we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about like, you know, there's, there's fashion, there's, you know, there's finance, fintech, there's of, of the broad scope. And I'm literally talking about a cousin of an ingredient set that's so close to what they know. But unless they know that, they're not comfortable 
right. like talking about it or speaking about it. And a lot of them, like they, they want to be academics. So it was, it was very difficult to find like the perfect person who has, you know, the time, the interest, the expertise and, and everything like that, that, you know, that wants to help out. So he was the perfect one. Awesome. Yeah, this is really, really interesting. Um, you know, looking at like entrepreneurs, one of the main things being an entrepreneur is being resourceful. So I was, I guess, my question to you because this obviously looks like such a such a huge undertaking. What were some of those hurdles that that you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot. There was actually a great post the other day. I, I just printed it out because I thought it was so good and was sharing it with people. But it's like the traits that this is from John. Calacanis. Um, I'm not sure if he's super famous or not, but you know, number the traits that he looks for in entrepreneurs, winning, etc. Relentlessness, you know, and resiliency was number one on the list. I, I definitely think like I find that stuff, you know, I like sort of being on the ropes for these various things because I don't like to have the like all the support, you know. Um, so when a lot of times, if you look at like a traditional. Um, you know, corporate player, they love having all the resources. And, you know, I talked to friends about leaving Unilever and here's what I want to do. And they're like, oh, you're going to be surprised, like the lack of resources. But, but when I was there, a lot of the wins that I got were from totally going rogue and, and, you know, not running stuff by a million people and like, and, and going around the resources because I thought that they should be disrupted. So it's like disrupting these structures that are in place. You know, I like that. I like the, I like just, you know, going to the neuroscience office and showing up at someone's office and like trying to tell them how cool I think this is and I can't believe that they wouldn't want to be involved, et cetera. So I like stuff like that as opposed to, you know, sending an email, hopefully no one gets back. You know, I mean, that's like the bad habits that I think, you know, the corporate environment um, reinforces. Yeah, absolutely. So what, in your opinion, having been boss re officially since 2012 or so, you know, what's been the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur for you? Um, I would say, I mean, I guess a couple, I don't know if I have a number one thing right off the bat um, without having more time to think about it, but I, I definitely think that a big lesson that I learned early on, which um, the Birchbox girls uh, mentioned in one of their tech, uh, TechCrunch TV articles was, uh, or interviews was that you're, you can't scale yourself. So if you tie it back to the prior idea, like, yeah, I love like battling through and doing all these things and like executing without a lot of support. And like, if if you find that exhilarating and thrilling, then, you know, you might be, you know, you might really love this world. And if you don't, and you find that scary as hell, you're going to like the corporate world. Right. But so I guess now what happens as you grow it, you realize, well, you need to like hire, recruit, you know, inspire, et cetera, people with those traits that can scale up your ideas and approaches and kind of like methodology, the lean process, all that. So that was a big thing. And that, you know, continues to be like finding the right people on the team. And I think we've found, we've, we have some great guys now, but it wasn't, it's not necessarily easy. And you go through people that bring on and they realize they're not quite a fit in the startup world. They can't right. handle the frenetic pace. And so I'd say that's one, that's a big thing. Well, and I think it's, it's symptomatic of the fact that, you know, as entrepreneurs, we, you wear so many hats initially you are juggling so much and then you feel like, okay, I have such a handle on this and presumably the systems haven't been established yet. So I feel like, you know, one of the things that or the themes that we hear over and over, it's like, you know, letting go of the control of the control of what you're doing. And it's at that point 
that it just becomes like, oh, I'm letting go of this passion project that I love so much. And are they going to take care of it like I would? So it's it's right, a very right. interesting it's an interesting dynamic. And, and I think the one book that I read that really helped was, um, was the book Ready, Fire, Aim, where you talked about that first year should be all about creating the systems and then focusing on how do you get your business? How do you scale it up so that you're making at least a million? And just that that should be the sole focus is creating the systems and the infrastructure. And then as you're learning how to scale. So that's the one thing that's been really helpful because I had an issue with the whole control thing. <laughs> yeah, I think lean, like the lean process, I can, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, one thing I'll say like even earlier on is the psychology, you know, your personal psychology and the psychology of like the initial team, I think is the toughest part when you're, um, when you sort of have nothing. So to take it, cause that's the biggest problem now is, is more of the team thing. But if I were to take it back and say, okay, concept phase, pre-launch or very early revenue, et cetera, um, you're still trying to find product market fit and all those things. It's definitely the psychology of, okay, like something happens, something's tough. And then you know, you have to actually just wake up the next day. And when we were out of the accelerator, we were subletting this like basement office. Um, and it's like, you have to go into this basement <laughs> and just like, look at the other people that you have and be like, okay, like, you know, what do we do now? And that, that has to, it's, you know, nothing's binary of course, but that has to like, there's usually two types of people. Like that's either the people that's thrilling and exciting. And like, you can overcome that psychology or like, that's scary. And, you know, yeah. we had neighbors, um, we were sharing an office with this other team They were doing 3d printing and you could just tell there was just something about it was like, these guys are not, they're just not going to do it. Like, cause you, you either have to be like in there coming back every day or like, you know, once someone's to think, Oh, maybe I should go get a salary job. Like then it, the whole thing breaks down. It's so fragile that, that yep. early psychology. Absolutely. So what, what would you that, say, how important is culture to, to the team's success then? Because yeah, that's what I you're talking that's, about, right? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, even if it's, um, you know, there is parts to that. I think that, like, even at the early stages, if it's literally one person, right, maybe it's one founder trying to, like, trying to, you know, quit quit their job and wake up tomorrow and run this out of the their apartment or coffee shop or whatever. Like, that's, and that, and then, and you know, through the whole discovery phase, like, definitely the, um, the psychology of it, but that's when you build your early culture. And then how do you scale culture, that's which right. is more like our stage, like after we've raised some money, we don't have like, what was actually really helpful is being in an accelerator. Everybody wants to join. Everybody wants to gain on that. You, you know, I, I had these Fulbright scholars from, uh, from UCLA, from Brazil, uh, helping out, you know, they, for free. Right. I mean, it was amazing. Like they, you know, you get all this talent. Then when you go to like, more like you raise money, people are, there's not that self-selecting filter of who's game to come down to the basement, right? Because whoever's self-selecting into that is already, you know, a warrior on the on the psychology front of being like an entrepreneur, right? They already love that if they're stepping into that. But later, how do you get folks that are saying, yeah, okay, wait, so you're telling me it's it's paid, it's decent, it's a little bit below market rate maybe, but like what are the, you know, what are the perks, what are the intangibles? You have to look for people that still love the startup um, you know, the startup style and the startup, like the lean process. So everything they've been taught from school, you know, and, and if they've had any corporate jobs, it's the opposite. You don't, in school, you don't like hand in a really shitty essay and then get feedback and adjust. You have to wait <laughs> until the last minute till it's perfect. And right. then you hand it in yeah. and hope that it's great. And like everything we've ever done, it's seemingly, I'm sure there's great examples of, of, you know, 
disciplines who who have been doing anything for a while. But as far as I know, and what I can tell from these recent graduates is everything that they've been like that's been instilled in their process is not like test and adjust and like like do minimum viable things. It's always like should I do this or not? It's always, like we never want you know if we get an inbound lead like hey do you guys want to test this you know channel out for getting users? It's always like. Who else has done it? What's the minimum viable amount? I don't want whatever your package is. I don't want that. Yeah. You know, and it's tough for people to. I don't want the regular package. No, I want you to unbundle it and hack it and think about what's the least amount we can spend and do before we spend energy down this path. Whereas, right. like people give an assignment, so like here's your path. Go all out until the deadline. Hand it in. Done. Like that's such a you know that's just so different than Absolutely. what you know makes good gains in the startup space. So in terms of the the team that you had access to early on with the accelerator, you're talking about super, you know, super intelligent people with a strong academic background, and you have that as well. You know, do you hire primarily people with that same kind of background? I mean, how influential is the academics versus you know the street smarts for you? No, we don't. We don't. Um, it's not. Um, it's definitely not consistent like that. Um, you know, I, I do think that. Uh, we do like for raw horsepower. I do think that there's you know depending on the role, right? Of course, you know developers, etc. Like that's a whole different ballgame. They could they could have whatever credentials. It doesn't even matter as long as they can they can do the job. You know, you do look for other signals as a crutch, which I do believe that's getting disrupted. I'm not here to you know defend the crumbling merits of you know <laughs> high high tuition sort of like you know private school blah blah blah. But I do think that is. You know, on the one hand, there's that, and then on the one hand, there's those programs do instill like a high performance culture, yeah. and they do do a decent job. Although everybody loves to to rip on them, they do do a decent job of picking talented people to go to their schools. I mean, I do fundamentally think that there's somebody coming out of Dartmouth randomly versus Southern Connecticut State. I think the smart money would bet on the Dartmouth person. I don't think it's fifty fifty, which everybody loves to act like it doesn't matter. But like, if you had to bet, I think you'd bet with the Dartmouth person. They're probably like they probably scored higher on various things. They probably have higher horsepower. But that's you know, I'm just saying that still exists. So yeah, we do look for that. But I think that like, but that's by no means is that like necessary. If someone like I've had a lot of guys who, um, if you listen to like Brian Spaley from the Trunk Club, he's you know he has this great clip. Uh, he just came down to LA recently, and it's like for for who wants to come in and like you know just come over instead of interviewing and talking and musing about how good you'd be and things you've done that probably aren't like that closely applicable, just come in and start blasting with us, you know, mm. come in on your free time. And I've had, we've had a lot of candidates with, you know, they're not these like blue chip backgrounds. They just come in, they start working for free. They prove their, um, their merits. We give them a little stipend more and more and more. And all of a sudden they're in a, a full-time role. So we, we definitely do it by like action and merits and there's various traits that we look for that have sort of startup DNA is more important perhaps than, than background. Awesome. Oh, that's great. So what would you say like the next chapter for you and true brain is for like 2016? Yeah, well, we're, um, you know, we're onto a lot of exciting things We're this the end of this quarter, we are wrapping up our clinical trial that we're doing. So, cause for everybody, you know, it's, it's difficult to explain, um, and there's a lot of education and, and proof points needed for people that are always skeptical of anything coming out of the food and beverage side. Um, and if we can prove that it actually helps getting you, gets you into a better brainwave set than coffee, 
um, then we'll have a lot more clear ads and, and uh, paid funnels and, and just communication and content across the board. So that's really important for us, um, cool. which has been a long time coming. And that's been one of the big things that, you know, the big deliverables after raising funds was, you know, of course, you have all these milestones and goals. But like, as another big thing to do, it's like, can we get that clinical backing that we can make claims against, which will help people understand it. If we can say X percent more focus than caffeine as proven by this standard test that's consensus, then all of a sudden it helps frame it in everybody's mind. Oh, I get it. So they're basically saying sim- sounds similar to what you might do with caffeine, but better. Yeah. When, whereas now without, without having the hard proof point up front, you have to explain a lot of the context. And so, yeah, so that's the important thing We're um, you know, we're launching and testing new products, um, which are exciting. We have our, our coffee uh, kit, which is very similar to, a, to like a, to the strategy, at least behind bulletproof coffee, we think they've done a great job, and they they're going a very reputable route with like the the healthy fats for the brain in terms of s- sustain caffeine. Because everybody's like, okay, how can you improve the caffeine experience? And from our side, it's you know not only improving the beans, but improving what you add to um, your cup of brew coffee after uh, with theanine alpha GPC to harness and smooth out um, the flow of caffeine, so that you can use that better. And it's less, you know, erratic of an experience. So even if you think that it's not erratic for, I don't know if, if you guys think when you have coffee, if it gives you, you know, people say jitters. I don't know if that's quite it, but um, I don't know if you guys find that it's like a, a wild ride. But like if you look at the brainwaves, it is. So we, we, we know that we can smooth that out um, and, and, you know, have a better, uh, a better profile and mindset for being calm and productive. Well, I absolutely love my Bulletproof coffees. It'd be really interesting okay. to test out your stuff. And and to that point, who would you say is your avatar? Um, you guys, the way that you guys use avatar, um, I'm not a gamer, so you're going to have to give me a synonym for that. Is that an art, like a uh, persona? Or yeah, what, uh... well, so <laughs> the way... The way in the internet marketing space, um, a lot of common term in avatar, perfect customer, your ideal customer. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. I was just making sure. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now there's really two groups. And, you know, to pick one, it's, you know, the 35 to 45-year-old, you know, let's just call him a 35-year-old management consultant who's looking for various productivity hacks um, as just a way to get better, right? A lot of times these, these people, you know, if we break down this algorithm to productivity, like there's kind of age and fundamentals, sleep, diet, workouts, like I said. So this person's not 22 where they're at their like mental peak in terms of like just pure processing speed and power. They may have, you know, they're, they're high stress job. They've been at it for a while. They're, they feel like they're not getting promoted maybe fast enough. They might have like young kids at home. So like they're not sleeping great. Their energy um, is, is not quite what it, what it used to be. Um, so they're looking for ways, where can they optimize to be a little bit more efficient, to get their work done faster, come home, get there, you know, see their kids before they go to sleep, like be a little bit more present and all those things. And that's really the, the ideal person that's willing to invest. And that same person probably has, you know, juice cleanses from here and there. They might have a trainer at the gym. Now, why would they pay for a trainer? Because it makes their time a little bit more efficient at the gym. If they can get out in and out of there quicker with better, you know, with a better workout, that's important to them. They're willing to invest in that. The same reason why they, why would they invest in a functional beverage that's going to give them a couple more points of value than caffeine or coffee alone would? That's the that's the same reason. The other group that's really interesting is the actually the fifty five to sixty five and even above sixty five. Um, if you look at you know based on the same algorithm, right? The equation for performance there. The biggest lagging factor for them is you know a lot of times they don't sleep well, but the big issue is the age and the fundamentals. Like the, the distance to their peak 
Um, that's where like active nootropics in our formulas really do a lot of like heavy lifting is there's a dramatic improvement the further you are away from your peak. In other words, if you are 21, 22, sleeping amazing, working out, your diet's on, on par, everything, like you'll still have maybe some benefit, but there's not this huge gap to make up where it's going to have this dramatic effect um, for the longer term. And those people are also looking for something that's neuroprotective. So it's great for them to take something that will continue to increase blood flow and oxygen to the frontal lobe, which active nootropics are the only thing on earth that can do that, that's safe and studied, et cetera. Now there's some device companies which may be able to get there. They're not there yet, but maybe they can get there soon. Um, but it, it is fundamentally different than anything else out there. Is there a testimonial that you can have, like a testimonial story of the true brain effect, how you've seen someone really have advantages or perks because they've taken it? And I get how long, how long before someone yeah. can see a noticeable difference? Yep. So how long is a, a bell curve of response? So <clears throat> some people, there's a small percent right away. Um, and it depends what formulas, um, you know, that's actually one of the things we're working on. A lot of people will, will take it and they'll say, oh, I didn't feel quite enough. And then they'll, they'll cancel. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're working on is we just like feel like that's, you know, it's such a lost opportunity because, you know, there is a small set of the, like what we found with clients um, in, our, in our lab is there's like 5% of the population that don't respond um, very well or slow to active nootropics. Now that, quite frankly, is unfortunate for them. Like it's unfortunate that you have sort of stubborn synapses or your biology can't take advantage of this. Wow. So that's what we try to press. Like, look, don't blame us, right? That's sort of unlucky for you. Yeah. But we're trying to come up with a formula to help. Um, to be able to like have something that you'll definitely feel right away. Um, otherwise, it's you know typically like five to seven days. I'd say is kind of the fat part of the bell curve of response. You know, some people longer, some people like quicker. But um, but I think that's you know that's really what we're trying to do is you know people don't have a lot of patience. We're trying to give some, them something a little <laughs> bit powerful to start off, um, so that they feel something they're used to and they can get the um, the sense of it. What, what was the other part of the question? The other part was just a testimonial story of oh, the yes. impact really, of what you've seen. I mean, we have some up, you know, we generally, we like to think about it as social proof and yep. we, we shy away because what we're trying to do from a brand standpoint is really build something that's really authentic, premium, backed by quant and everything that testimonials aren't. So we sort of, I get very squeamish even at the word testimonials, even though I know like you can do it well. Mm-hmm. If you look at some B2B SaaS, you know, cloud solution companies that are venture-backed startups, they have like an elegant way of finding their their voice in sort of social proof or testimonials. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't quite gotten that because we just, you know, we just get sick to our stomachs thinking about putting, I feel amazing. I now have doubled my, <laughs> and I climbed Mount Everest, like Bob S, Oklahoma. Like I just, you know, we just are working so hard on the brand side to not ever look or be associated by like snake oil players. Like, and in the food, beverage, you know, nutraceutical space, that's like 99% are sort of, you know, the fringe of society, scum of the earth type of players who just do the fake testimonials. So we're working hard to find a way to do it without it looking like that. And I think our latest effort is going to be actually showing real people. So saying Josh Payne, CEO of Stack Social, he, you know, the way that he describes it is like, I have so many decisions to make and like he tries to optimize everything he does throughout the day. And this gives him like a fundamental like boost where he knows that he can like pay attention to things for longer. Um, but I'll just give you a couple snippets of like the way that people describe it. Cause it's described a lot of different ways. Um, one is like, you have so many pieces of stimulus out there now, 
you know, multi-screen environment, everything kind of calling for your attention. When you switch around a lot, that taxes your mental clutch. So that actually depletes resources in the brain when you switch, switch, switch back and forth. Oh, I'm so great at multitasking. That's great. Glad to hear that you're great at multitasking. That's depleting resources in your brain. Mm. We can see that. We know that. That's the biology of neuroscience, right? So what this gives you is ammo to do that and ammo to stay on one particular task and block out stimulus. And what our study will show in looking at very specific brain waves is caffeine gets you hyped up and alert. So you think you're so damn productive because you can <laughs> go and like knock out this task and then switch this and switch back to that. That's great, but like it's only it's not actually giving you more resources in your brain to be able to do that. And it's not giving you resources to be able to calmly and methodically go down one path without worrying and checking something else. And I think that's that is what I personally believe that I saw from my peer group and this persona, this avatar that you're talking about, that's what they really need to get more work done. Yeah. And it's a little bit counterintuitive because people think, oh, if I'm so amped up and hyped up, I'll get so much done. But it turns out, did you really get a lot done? You switched between eight things. Maybe this will allow you to like block those out a little bit more, knock those out, and have more ammo to switch later and, and, and go through your day. Love you know, it's very much the knowledge worker um, type of thing, although we've had you know, artists and musicians and things like that say great things too, but um, it was meant for this group. Awesome. So how does somebody order, find out more about True Brain, order products? So I'm assuming only online? Is that right, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we operate just like a Dollar Shave Club or a Harry's um, Nature Box. It's online monthly subscription because it's meant to be, you know, part of a good routine, right? I mean, if you stick with it, if you stick with diet and working out, you'll get results. If you stick with, you know, this as part of your overall routine and, you know, meditating is great as well, uh, um, sleeping well. Like those are all things that can really help optimize. Um, but I think we do have a podcast for for your group, um, I believe, Boss Free, all lowercase. Um, so TrueBrain.com, if they go and check that out and they're interested, we can help them out with, uh, with a deal to get started. Oh, awesome. great. Thank you. That's awesome. So Tim, you want to ask the last yes. questions? Yeah, we're I do. Over it's, a half it's, hour. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard to believe how fast it goes when we're when we're learning about the brain. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so Chris, what uh, what sage advice can you offer our boss free society listeners? Something that they can do in the next 24, 48 hours that will help move their business forward. I mean, I guess I'll I'll just say a few things. Um, I am a huge proponent of lean. Um, so Eric Reese, um, he's actually been in contact with us because of how we've applied lean to not only science and studies and things like that, but also packaged goods. It's usually applied to something with, that's purely digital software, et cetera. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of that. And I just think like practicing that and going through the, you know, either real or at least, you know, theoretical mental reps of that thinking and like learn more about it and try to practice it and use the lean canvas and like do things like that. I think we'll start the process. So, you know, if with only 24 hours, like you're not going to necessarily launch something, but if you can go through and, and, you know, practice that and put some of your ideas to the test and put your thinking process to the test and like benchmark it against the lean principles, I think it'll plant the seed and whether you start your own thing or what Eric's doing right now with this group, um, and he launched something as, as, uh, is actually having people do it within corporations. Like how can you be an entrepreneur first and maybe get practice and, you know, fail on someone else's dime, right? And a lot of that is how do you apply lean? And there's so many barriers to applying lean. If you can think about how you can break through and get some wins, even in a more structured corporate environment, 
at a bigger company, it'll really, I think, plant the seed for some of your listeners and thinking like, okay, this will really challenge me. And then by the time they find an idea that's vetted enough where they feel good enough about it and it meets the scorecard that they'll have that hopefully more embedded. Love it. And uh, the link to Lean Startup, that book will be in the show notes as well as the offer that Chris is talking about and more on TrueBrain, all the links there. Chris, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate you. And we wish you a lot of luck for 2016 and beyond. It sounds like it's a a product that everybody needs, certainly the entrepreneur community. And as a matter of fact, I was speaking to one of my entrepreneur friends and um, I mentioned that we were interviewing you. He's like, hey, I heard about TrueBrain at a conference. So there was an internet marketing conference where the name TrueBrain was going around just an fyi so, so that may be cool. another avatar for you because those guys could definitely use yep. a lot of true brain <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right chris sure. very cool all right thank you so much great thanks guys appreciate it thank you for listening to the boss free society podcast if you want more connect with us on facebook at boss free society fan page twitter at boss free society Or join our group of other boss-free-minded peeps at the Boss Free Dojo on Facebook.